This is the Made It in Music podcast. I'm Seth Mosley, and this is Show 130. Welcome to the podcast, where we bring you tools and resources to help you go full time in music and to stay in. The music business is a roller coaster ride, changing faster than any of us can pay attention to. We all need a competitive edge to stay ahead and to stay successful. What's working, what isn't, and what's coming? That's exactly what this show is all about. Back again with Full Circle Music, the Made It in Music podcast. Welcome to the Made It in Music podcast. We do this podcast for you because you guys ask us questions and we do our best to bring in guests who have the answers. There are so many different areas that you need to focus on and develop in order to make it in the music industry. And balancing all of it is one of the biggest challenges that most of you probably face. One of those areas is networking in the music industry. You can have all of the talent, the best songs, and some savvy business skills, but if you aren't connecting with others in the music industry, it's very difficult to get very far. The right connection is probably the single lever that you can pull in your career that can have the most significant impact in the shortest amount of time. In today's podcast, we're going to hear from a country duo called Smithfield. We're very excited about what they have to share with you because they're still independent but they have made massive headway in the music industry on their own, and one of their top skills has been learning how to network in the music industry. They have some very interesting strategies that may shock some of you. So in this episode, they're going to share their secrets and tell you exactly what they've learned and how you can use the same methods to network in the music industry as well. Let's dive into it. Here on the Made It Music podcast with Smithfield, Trey and Jennifer, thank you so much for taking the time to do this. I know you guys are busy dominating the world of country music and yeah, putting out new music left and right. We make our own. It's out. Yep. It's amazing. It, it's been out, and um, we're so excited about this project. It's been a, been a while since are you we just put something out. saying that because you produced it? It could be that, too. It could be that, too. <laughs> I may be biased. I very a well may bit. be biased. <laughs> but seriously, it's one of those that, I mean, we we talk about it and high-five each other on the studio just because of how awesome we like we think it's so great and it's just been an honor to work with you guys and get to know you in the process but i still don't know your whole backstory not at all we haven't like sat down and how did we even make music together how did we you don't even you don't even know us that's the weird thing about making music is like you just sit down and get in these writing rooms and you don't even really know each other and then true but that's how it works, right? Yeah, but we still made awesome music together. We did. So True. that's a good start. So you don't have to know some, everything about somebody. <laughs> you don't. That is a great great takeaway. So yeah. um, what was the moment, and you can answer this collectively or you know, maybe for, for each of you guys the answer is different, but what was the moment that you knew you wanted to pursue a career in the music business? Ooh, for me, I was nine years old. And uh, both of us grew up in Texas, and my family used to take me to this country music show that Leanne Rhymes grew up singing on um, outside of Dallas. And I'd go to them almost every weekend, and I knew, like, when I saw that show, I was like, Mom, that's, like, that's what I want to do with my life. And she was like, okay, honey, you know. And I'm like, no, really. So when I got old enough to audition, um, Leanne Rhymes' godmother put me on the show. And I sang at this like Opry type of thing until uh, pretty much until we got together and moved to Nashville. How does that happen? That's that's crazy. <laughs> yeah. I mean, in Texas, every small town has these country Opry's. And so I just grew up doing that and that show. And 
and knew I'd always wanted to go to Nashville. But I remember being like 13 years old and getting my first check for music. And I was like, dang, I'm going to be rolling. Like, I'm <laughs> already a, making money. a lot money. of money when you're 13 years oh, old. Oh, yeah. Like, yeah. I, I think it was like a $500 check, which to a 13-year-old, wow. that was really cool. I was not making that kind of money on chores when I was 13. So, <laughs> yeah. I can tell you that. <laughs> um, I was 18, actually, when I started in music, when I knew it was a career. And I had never sang in front of anybody in my life. Total, like, go up to my room after school, get my guitar, get away where no one could hear me and sing by myself. And... Uh, my friend signed me up for a talent show my senior year of high school, unbeknownst to me. And uh, I felt like I had to do something for the talent portion, and that's the only thing I ever felt like I was any good at. So I sang a Goo Goo Dolls song, and uh, my principal walked up to me afterwards. He talked to me like twice my entire high school career. And he was just like, you're pretty good on that. You should consider doing that for a career. And that's when I was like, hmm, maybe I should. And so I started doing the the band thing. I was in a rock band for a few years in college, and uh, then I ended up getting with this one after we broke up, and and there it all started for Smithfield. <laughs> wow. So have you gone back and, like, thanked that principal since no, then? No. <laughs> he had literally never talked to me except for, like, twice before that, but I just took that as, like, a sign, I guess, or maybe that was just divine intervention right there that planted that in my head that that could be a career. Well, here's your chance to thank him. <laughs> yeah, thank you, Mr. Merle. Thank you. <laughs> Mr. Merle is his name. Huh? We yeah. really should be thanking your cousin, Emily, because that's the whole reason why yeah. we're, we're together is because of her. But okay. True. Tell, tell me about Emily. Uh, uh, she, she kind of was the brain behind putting us together musically, I guess, if you will. I was in between bands, and we went to lunch, and she told me about Jennifer, and she was doing her Texas Opry thing. And she was like, you should reach out to her and see what she's doing. I feel like you guys would sing really well together. And so I reached out on like Facebook, I think, or something. Yeah, you sent me a Facebook message. Oh, man. And uh, I was just like, hey, I don't know what you're doing with your music, but my band just broke up. And like, would you just want to get together one day and try singing together? Not really expecting it. Not that I wasn't expecting something, but just you never know. I mean, we could have sat down together and just sounded terrible. Cause, and this is what we always say is like you can have two great singers but that doesn't necessarily mean they're going to blend well together. It's all about the blend with the duo. And so, you know, we lucked out. We sat down that day and sang, and it just, you know, it sounds kind of cliche to say, but like, you know, the goosebumps on your arms and stuff. Yeah. I didn't want to do this. You, you didn't want to <laughs> do Yeah, she didn't want to do it. No. The duo? Like you just wanted no. to be solo artist or what? what totally. Um, I was studying music business. I had, you know, grown up doing country music. I always wanted to do this on my own. And Trey's been a family friend since we were 10 years old. We've known each other. Oh, wow. And, like, grandparents went to high school together. Parents went to high school together. So I felt like I couldn't say no. And uh, Emily had told me, uh, this is weird, his cousin does Thanksgiving with my family. Okay. Instead of going to his family's. Like, our families are, yeah. have just always been intertwined. Very tight-knit. Okay. Yeah. So Emily told me about it, and then he sent me the message, and I was like, I feel like I can't say no, but so I didn't think anything of it. But truly, when he came over and we sang together and I heard the blend of our, the sound that we make together, I was like, this is something really special. So it was literally that, like in that moment, you knew, you kind of just knew. I knew. Wow. Yeah. I set up a show at the Aardvark in Fort Worth as soon as we were done singing that day. And yeah. if you've never been to the Aardvark, then good for you. <laughs> and uh, we just like played a show, I think literally for our parents and like the bartender and two people or something. But it was just the first like little step we made to like, hey, let's actually think about doing this as a duo. So 
specifically as Smithfield, like did was the name kind of mm-hmm. contrived right away or how, how did that sort of no. evolve? That was like the first name we came up with because it's our last names, Trey yeah. Smith, Jennifer Fielder. And we were like, oh, well, no, we need something cooler and like more creative. And for like four months, we had some of the worst names I've ever heard. I can't even remember what we were brought up now, but yeah, we ended up coming back to Smithfield. Because like that's us. It's us combined together. You ever heard like the old phrase, you overthink things? That was that was definitely what we did because the very first one we should have gone with, but like two months later, we're like, you know what? Maybe Smithfield is right. Yeah, and I'm sure nobody has ever asked this question, but do you have like a bacon endorsement or anything like that? <laughs> we never, should. We've never heard that. Uh, <laughs> we've played a show for Smithfield, so it was like Smithfield presents Smithfield. Yeah, that was random. Uh, I was going to say, that's like the most incredible strategic brand alliance you could ever right. Yes, <laughs> and who doesn't like bacon? So it's like we could really – Get some good use out Buy of it. Buy a record, get a free pack of bacon. Man, you know, <laughs> we actually had to talk about that name when we first started because we had, you know, fears there were going to be some, be some legal issues with it. They were like, well, as long as you don't sell bacon or anything, like get into that space, you're fine. So, so we actually can't sell bacon. Otherwise, okay. otherwise we're going to be in trouble. Again. So got to stick to the music. Gotcha, gotcha. <laughs> so one, th- well, let, let's let's rewind a little bit. So you 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 did that aardvark. Did you say it's called the Aardvark? It's called the Aardvark. Okay. It's right right next to Texas Christian University in Fort Worth, Texas. Okay. So you did the you did the Aardvark. What 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 did you do next? Like once you put your heads down together and you figured out, okay, this is something we really want to pursue. Yeah. Um, I was going to Nashville two months after that show, and I had already had some shows scheduled for CMA Fest. So I thought, okay, well, if we're gonna be a duo and do this thing, then I'm going to bring Trey with me to see if he really wants to do this and pursue this as a career together because he had never been to Nashville before. Mm -hmm. So our families brought us up here. We perform all week long. But the week prior to that, we were practicing in my college dorm room. And my roommate, who I'd never met before, she literally had just moved in that day, was in the kitchen while we were practicing. And she's like, oh my gosh, y'all sound amazing together. She's like, my cousin works in the music business. I don't know what he does, but I know he does something big in music. And we're like, okay, yeah, whatever. Um, Well, it ended up being legit. He was a booking agent at William Morris Endeavor, which is the largest booking agency in the world for all genres. And she sets us up on a meeting with him. And uh, he brought us in at like eight o'clock in the morning that week on that trip. And he told us later, he brought us in that early in case we sucked. He's like, I didn't want anybody else in the office yeah. to hear you guys if you were bad. But he Risk said, mitigation there. That's right. Yeah. He said that just something in his gut, because I asked him that later. I was like, why'd you take that meeting? And he goes, I don't know. Something in my gut just said, do it. And uh, anyways, he said he had 30 minutes, not much time. Three hours later, we're discussing our plan to move to Nashville. And he's like, I see some real potential, but I want you guys to start writing your own songs, figure out who you are as artists, um, stay away from Broadway, (laughs) unless you want to be a big cover band, Um, start playing writer's rounds. And he gave us like a list of cool places to play, like Bluebird Cafe and Listening Room and um, Belcourt Taps and Tapas. So those were the three places that we started when we moved to town. All the staples. Yeah. And and can you you dive into that a little bit? Because there's such a Nashville 
subculture that I think people are so unaware of outside of watching the show Nashville. <laughs> yeah. Yes. I think a lot of people think Broadway is Nashville. Like we did at first. Like what's what why stay away from that? And then what what's what's the deal with Riders Rounds? Like what what is it? Why do why do you so, want to So we were told initially that Riders Rounds are the way that you meet people. And and really it's true. You know, it's if you've never seen a Riders Round before, it's Basically, three to four people that sit up in a line on a stage, and you go down the line, and you each play a song, and you'll do like, you know, three or four rounds, depending. And you just you meet people through that. You say, "Hey, we should write sometime the famous Nashville line." Mm-hmm. That and doesn't actually, always happen. It doesn't always happen, but you actually <laughs> do write sometimes. And that's kind of how you network. That's like the earliest stages of networking in Nashville when you first moved to town, and that's why they told us, "Write, write, write." But also, you need to be playing writers' rounds, write with people, network with them. If they like the song they wrote with you, they'll introduce you to this person, and it just keeps going. And I think personally, that's the most important thing to do when you first move to town. I agree. Get involved in writers' rounds. So still to this day, that that's totally ap- applicable. If a new artist or writer's moving to Nashville. Writers round should be the thing. I feel like it is because yeah. you not only start writing and co-writing songs, but you're also networking in the process, which is so important. Well, I, yeah. I love that you touched on that, and I, I really this is this is something that I want our audience to get from this interview more than anything is just what I've noticed is that you guys are so good at the relationship side of things. Thank and you. Thanks. That sounds like that was the start of it. Like that yeah. maybe planted the seeds of some of those early relationships. Absolutely. And um, as an indie artist, that's kind of what all of all of us are going after. We want the relationships with the people who can put us on this stage or on this playlist or on this radio station. Mm-hmm. So I'd love to sort of dive into that a little bit. So what was your mentality moving to Nashville in order to kind of start developing that? Like were there were there certain kind of strategies. I mean, strategy sounds weird when you're kind of like, but you have to really like, yeah, you know what I mean? Absolutely. How how did you go about that? Um, well, again, we were very fortunate to meet one person who was actually already a professional in, in the industry and he introduced us to publishers and that is how we started getting co-writes and diving into that. But he also, um, he introduced us and told us about like Whiskey Jam, which is a big popular show here in town. And when we first moved here, before it got super touristy, that's where all the industry people would hang every Monday. And then at this bar called Red Door. So me and Trey would go hang out at Whiskey Jam, and then we would go to Red Door. And I'm telling you, we would meet artists, writers, publishers, label folks. I mean, a lot of A&R people would come out because they would go watch the people on Whiskey Jam. It was like the show in town. And so we just sort of strategically placed ourselves. We'd look at other artists that had buzz going on in town, and then mm-hmm. we would go to their show because we knew if we went to their show, these key people would be there. And that's actually how we met uh, Leslie Fram, who runs CMT. Um, we met her at 3rd and Lindsley. That's how we met John Marks, who was ahead of SiriusXM at the time. Mm-hmm. And we just boldly went up and said, Hey, we, you're John Marks, we're Jen and Trey, we're a duo called Smithfield, like we'd love to meet with you. And not asking anything from anybody, because I think people put up their walls real fast when you start going, hey, will you do this for me? Right. But if you more so approach it from like, hey, let's get coffee or let's just get to know each other and kind of form that relationship. And that's what we did. We just yeah. were bold. I'm taking notes because I feel like networking has been one of those things for me. Like I'm asking these questions selfishly, wanting to know <laughs> how do you do that? Like, okay, what is a conversation? conversation like that look like for just literally walking up to somebody out of the blue and not freaking them out 
Yeah, but like I think it's just like visibility too, like putting yourself in those situations to be seen, and even if it's not a long interaction, it's like a consistent interaction because we always. I think the mistake a lot of people make is like they want to walk up and expect to walk away with something after one conversation. And it's it's not like that at all. I mean, it's you have to start just even just being in front of them. Hi, I'm so and so. Nice to meet you. Okay, done. Next time you say, "Hey, you know, I met you at this place." Blah blah blah. And over time, you develop a relationship that, that turns into something or it doesn't. But it always has to start with just, hey, you know, introducing yourself, being in front of them, being visible. And that's why they always say, like, go out, even if you're just seen out, even if you don't say hi to one person, just like go somewhere, make a lap, leave. You're seen. People recognize you in the community so that's good i'm gonna like tra- you should trademark that go somewhere make a lap leave make a lap <laughs> we, we literally we'll, we'll, we'll get to the front door on a t-shirt we'll get to the front door and general just go let's make a lap oh i'm the best at it because i don't want to hang there for three hours i'm like let's get one drink make a lap say hi bye because <laughs> the beauty of it is so if you make a lap inevitably you're gonna you're gonna get stopped along the way you talk and you, to. En- you end up being there a little bit but yeah. so was that in i mean it sounds like it was. It's been really natural for you guys. Was it at all intimidating when oh. you first moved to town? And- oh yeah, yeah. And this again, we've been here almost seven years, and this has been a long time developing the, these relationships. And I think that's why it does take so long because if you approach it from an organic standpoint, it just takes time. It may take you, like Trey was saying, three or four times before you ever get a card or an email. And then by the time you get that, then you go to a coffee or a breakfast. And then by the time you get that, I mean, it could be six months before you ever get a meeting, but it's putting in that time towards that relationship. And and, and just to follow up on that, because you guys have done so good at it, how did you even know to start out with? Like, if if some you don't know what you don't know, so how do you even know the people you should be trying to build relationships with in the first place? You know, sometimes it's by accident, but you know, it's we always call Nashville, you know, like it's the the biggest small town in America, you know, or vice versa, however you want to look at it. But I don't know. I think it's just you hear people talk about these people. So, for instance, like with Leslie, we were standing at the bar. And somebody talking to her behind us, we'd heard about Leslie Fram, and and somebody said, "All right, well, Leslie, it was good to talk to you. We'll see you, you know, later." And, and <laughs> oh, I was so nervous. And I think Jen was just like Leslie. I wonder. And then she just turned around. She's like, "Hi." She's like, "Are you Leslie Fram from CMT?" And she's like, "Yeah." And oh, I'm Jen. And and it just kind of went from there. So I mean, word around town, people talk. You know, if you're in if you're in town for probably more than a year, you you hear some key names more than once. Um, because look, we're all trying to do it. Yeah. You know, as, as artists as just industry folks. I mean, we're all trying to make headway. So the names filter around pretty, pretty uh, massively. Well, I had heard everything that Leslie was doing for not only females, but new artists. Mm-hmm. Um, and she's really passionate about independent artists. And they, CMT had just started this program called the New Artist Discovery Program. So I had been wanting to meet her for months and never seen her out. I didn't know what she looked like. And so that night when I met her, she, by the time we got done with our conversation, she's like, well, I've heard about you guys. I've heard how great you were. How about y'all come over to the office and meet the staff? Me and Trey were like, oh, wow. Like, we couldn't believe it. Like, that was our first, like, big meeting. And Mm -hmm. we went over and played for the entire staff of CMT. And she's like, I love you guys. Like, you guys need to do a music video. And me and Trey are thinking, oh, gosh, where are we going to get the money to do that? And we're like, yep, we will. We will get that. Oh, yeah. Played it cool. Like, yeah, we'll have one to you next week. Yeah. Yeah. But, I mean, um, yeah, that's just kind of how it started, though, was a conversation. And then others weren't that easy. Like, no. John, um, we love John Marks. He's done so many great things for us. He's playlisted, like, 
three or four of our singles and just been a great supporter. But it took him four years to ever get on the Smithfield train. But yeah. that's okay. Same you come with, come around to it. We don't want to force anybody into it. No. I mean, yeah. it's the same way with JR from SiriusXM. Yeah. Know? I mean, like, for a long time, wanted nothing to do with us, like, wasn't interested in what we did. And he actually ended up coming to our Opry debut um, in 2015. Yeah. 16. specifically to see you guys, or was he just happened to be there? He, he came to see us, so we had a little, we call him our Nashville angel, Mr. Pete Fisher. But, uh, yeah, I and, love uh, Pete. He is, he, he's the best, and he <laughs> invited him out that night. And the day after the Opry, we made our Opry debut, Pete was like, hey, JR called me last night and was talking about you guys. And then I think the next day after that, he called Jen and was like, hey, so I'm going to put a single uh, on Sirius XM. Which one do you think it should be? And Jen just called me freaking out. She's like, I have no idea what to say right now. Like, what? which one do we pick? Like, we have no plan, and we just kind of had to hodgepodge it together. But there's moments you have to do that. You know, you just have to play it as it comes. Man, and that had to be – when those little moments happen, I have to imagine on a level of, man, you, you've been planting seeds with this one person for four years, and something mm-hmm. is finally kind of paying off, I guess. Is, is, yeah. is there – what do you kind of feel when that happens? Relief. <laughs> um, I think I cried to... when he called because I just had it takes so long and I even remember like being on the Opry it's like golly we've worked five years for eight and a half minutes and it's just like I don't know it's just you feel like all your hard work is paying off and even though you're not where you want to be you're not where you were yeah. so that's very for me being a type a person and getting gratification off successes Mm-hmm. That of course makes me feel like sure. I'm on top of the world. Right. Do you know? Do you guys know your enneagram? Ooh, is that the number? Yeah, the number. So I can't remember exactly. I'm the loyalist. Okay, this is totally a rabbit trail, but I'm just curious. Yeah, I'm a nine. That's You're what nine. I remember. So whoever, I was the, peace, the... the peacekeeper, the peacemaker. Okay. Yeah. yeah. That sounds right. I was gonna guess you were a three based off of the whole type A, the achiever. <laughs> I think I am tied with a, th- a three and a six, which is six, I believe, is a loyalist. Yeah, that's what I think. Uh, so yep. we're uh, loyalists I'm happy unite. you. <laughs> I like it. I'm just trying to keep the peace, man. <laughs> you are. You're over there keeping <laughs> That's how this works, though. If we were both like me, we'd kill each other. That's through. your guys' dynamic. We're good. Yeah, we're a good dynamic. <laughs> <laughs> so... Um, Man, just again, again, back to the kind of relationships. Are there any specific relationships that you developed over time that maybe initially felt like a long shot or like there's no way this is going to, you know, how how are we going to get in with, you know, maybe with Leslie or? I'd have to say John Marks probably. And I love John and he's never been anything but great to us. But it took like a good four five years to really get him to open up and kind of jump jump on the Smithfield train, if you will. Because yeah. um, we approached him when he was at Sirius. And we had a good meeting with him, and we talked, but he never was really ready until a certain point to kind of go ahead and support our music and support what we did. And so when that finally happened, I think it was just... <laughs> I think I fell out of my chair the day I saw one of our songs go on. I think it was New Boots or something. And I texted and called her freaking out and I was like you need to go look at Spotify New Boots right now because yeah. you're gonna not gonna believe it <laughs> I was gonna say uh Pete Fisher because uh I don't know we I don't know if you've ever knew this we we got a record deal pretty early when we moved to town and that label folded mm-hmm. and they would not give us our music back they wanted like thirty thousand dollars for the music and me and Trey are like uh we're working part-time jobs like 
<laughs> writing. Like yeah, we don't have 30 grand. Totally. Yeah. So when we were introduced to Pete, um, he sort of like we, I didn't never expected anything from him. We just wanted to learn from him. And we're like, Hey, we have this indie record that we just finished up on Kickstarter. We raised the money to do it and we don't know what to do with it. So this was post getting leaving that label deal and you yeah. guys did, yeah. a, did a Kickstarter. We left the label, we had done the Kickstarter, we had the, the project locked and loaded, but we had no way to promote it or do a video for it or hire anything to, to help get it out there. Yeah, and so Pete um, really took us under his wing and he was like, I want to sit down and come up with a business plan for you guys. And so we like budgeted out what a video would cost. We budgeted out what hiring a publicist would cost. And we just sort of went through every aspect that we would need to promote it. And it, you know, added up to a lot. And we're like, all right, well, we don't know how we're going to get the money to do this without a label. Mm -hmm. And so Pete's like, well, I got a good friend at CNB Bank. I'm going to take you down at the bank. and we're good friend gonna, to have. And me and Cherry are like, well, we don't even have any credit. Like, yeah. is this a real thing? He's like, yeah, we're going to get you a music loan. Did you well, know about this? I didn't even know music loans were a thing. They yeah, exist. we didn't either. That's shocking. Apparently, Luke Bryan had to do the same thing, too, really? prior to his label deal. So. Yeah, the president of the bank told us that when we sat down to play for him. She was like, yeah, I remember Luke Bryan sitting right where you guys were. Yeah. That is like, crazy. So... That booking agent that we told you was our mentor and the first person we met yeah. to town actually ended up signing us. Oh, wow. And he was at this meeting. And so he had to prove that we had income coming in so from shows. So he had to show up at the bank and like vouch oh, for yeah. you guys. Yeah, show, and then show dates and everything. And Pete was there and then me and Trey. And we played live for the for the bank and fluorescent <laughs> lights and this whole like round table. Yep. And uh, it, the woman... Started, brought tears to her eyes, she wow. said. And she's like, I'm going to give you this loan. So we got the loan right there that day and uh, put that plan into action. And that's when we met Leslie and then the whole thing happened. But again, I never thought in a million years one coffee with somebody a year later would turn into a business plan and then being on the Opry. Mm -hmm. Like Pete did so much for us. And we, I could, I would have never expected that. Nope. Well, speaking of great relationships, shout out to Pete Fisher. What up, Pete? <laughs> hey, Pete. That is that is so incredible. I'm, I'm thank you for sharing that. That's such, that's such. Oh a yeah, fantastic I still story. to this day we still call Pete with just like random like if we're just struggling with something like hey man what do you think about this? Yeah, <laughs> he's literally. He's probably like these people need to stop calling. Every me. piece <laughs> of advice. I'm not saying everybody's right about everything. Pete Fisher's been spot on on all of his like pieces of advice. Yeah. And for those for those who maybe don't know what Pete Fisher's done, maybe just give a little background on, you know. Ooh, I mean, everything. He's, he's yeah. been involved in so many aspects of the industry over the years, management, label side, publishing, ended up being the GM of the Grand Ole Opry for 17 years, I believe. Yeah, he sort of like um, revived it. Really brought it back to life uh, in a lot of ways and then um, left about... Gosh, has it been two? It hadn't been two years, has it? I think it? almost two years. Almost two years ago uh, to be the president of the ACMs. Okay, so Pete Fisher, huge, uh, huge part of your story, huge part of why you're, you know, sitting here today. Are there any that you can you can answer this question either from personal experience or from just things that you've seen? But what are some of the mistakes that people make when trying to build those relationships, like in the, in the beginning? You know, I, I think if you, here's what I will say. If you don't 
connect with the person, then don't force it. And I, I just say that in that when I say an organic relationship, I mean you genuinely enjoy spending time with that person. So if, if you spend time with somebody and it's just like, I hate being around this person, don't force it. You know, those relationships need to build themselves. But like everyone that has been involved with us that has helped us along the way that we built relationships with started from a genuine interest in just being around that person, I, I think. Yeah, I mean, I think it's a combination of believing in the music, definitely, but also like getting to know you as a person and believing in you as a person. Yeah. And there was a, a uh, one of our mentors told us early on, um, he said, don't ever un- underestimate how far being a good person will get you. Right. And me and Trey were like, what? Like, just be nice to people. Like, that's how we were raised, you know? And I was like, that's not, okay, whatever. But now looking back, I'm like, golly, a lot of people helped us along the way because they liked us as people too. Mm-hmm. So that's why relationships are, like, to me, very, very key on top of good music. Um, but sorry, I was going to say the one mistake, and I think I mentioned it earlier, is just don't expect anything from anybody. You know, because I think when you go in and you expect people to help you and expect something from them, they're going to sense that and their guard's going to immediately go up because everybody wants something from them. So if you can be that ease and put off an aura of just, hey, I just want to get to know you and develop that and then let them come around and ask you for music, I think that yeah, that if is... They, if they believe enough in you and your music, they'll they'll come around and want to help in some way. Yeah. But yeah. Well, and you, and you hit on a really good point there. Like, they have to believe in it. That's something you can't necessarily force. No. Obviously, the music has to be amazing to start with. Mm-hmm. You have to have a, a natural chemistry as, as you guys have. So um, zooming forward to today, you've got, you guys are, are doing this with a team behind you, and that obviously has involved building your relationships and finding team members to hire from whether that's, you know, your manager to the people that are, helping you guys do your content for your socials or, or advertising. How have you gone about finding the right people to be on your team? Some of it's by chance. Some of it's by intention, um, word of mouth. I mean, you know, we met our manager at a show that our booking agent, Braden, had, had brought him to. And it's funny, we actually were with a, a company called Red Light for a while at first, and we, we actually chose them over our current manager. And... A lot of people at that point would just go, okay, well, screw you, you know, bye, you didn't choose me. But he kept coming to our shows over the years, even when we chose the other company over him. And so when things weren't working out there, we kind of went back and we're like, man, I I really, I liked Chris and I, you know, I wanted to work with him and, you know, he's been good to us. He could have just walked away and had nothing to do with us ever again, but he was still supporting us. And that's kind of how that got formed there. And uh, when we took out the loan, um, one of the most important things was for us to hire a business manager to help us. Very important. Very, very important. Help us with um, a line of credit. So when we went out on the road, like, you know, we don't have a label funding everything up front. So, you know, part of that loan was helping tour support. So the, it was very, very important to hire a business manager, helping to pay our band guys and, making sure that we're paying back that loan properly and just kind of keeping um, the money in order. Because mm-hmm. at our old label, um, we didn't see inflow and outflow of cash. So when they folded and they put 
you know, a price tag on me and Trey. I've never felt like an object until that moment. Sure, yeah. But we didn't have a business manager. So we weren't able to stick up for ourselves legally to say, well, no, you didn't spend that amount of money because we have all the receipts and we've seen everything. So that was one of the first things we did was hire a business manager and then um, get a great lawyer we met uh, our lawyer through through Braden again, yeah. When you're good at something, there's a lot of people that want to take it. <laughs> so, <laughs> yes. Um, so you got to hire somebody good to, to protect you from yes. it. And, um, um, so yeah. hiring the right relationships to protect you from the wrong relationships. Yeah, absolutely. That's that a good way to put it. That's a good way to put it. Is great. Um, and yes. we lucked out and found a great attorney pretty early on that's been with us since close to the beginning and um, mm-hmm. has always protected us and done a great job. And you know, a lot of people forget that, it, that it's a business. You know, literally, we're registered as Smithfield Incorporated with the state of Tennessee. <laughs> That's so serious. And, and it's and it's weird to think about it that way. But really, I mean, it is. I mean, you know, we are, it's weird to think about it because we're artists, but we're also the co-owners of Smithfield We've Incorporated. We've had to become really good business have, people, we though. We have to hire the people that know how to do the things that we don't know how to do. And in the process, we've learned how to do a lot of those things ourselves. And, and even tying back into your recent release that's like the perfect segue into that we make our mm-hmm. own like yeah that's why we called it that that's why we called it we make our own that's um, so good and i i sensed that i've esp <laughs> with you where you're going <laughs> that's must be why we wrote that great song that but day, you guys so. are you got that's one thing that stood out to me is you guys are so resourceful just don't give up we, we're, we're annoying and we just don't give up we yeah. just we, we keep bugging people until they do what we want them to do <laughs> <laughs> <No>. <laughs> we're uh, not going away i um, mean the two other things too that we hired that i think have been very, very helpful, you know, um, would be, we have a social media team, just two girls that help our voices be heard on a bigger platform. So Trey and I do most of, most of it, and especially the personal ones, cause we don't ever want to lose our voice on social media, but you know, Facebook has become an advertisement game. Yep. And you know, when you have a show in a, you know, in Boston and maybe you're not played on the radio there, maybe nobody's ever heard of you. Well, how are they going to hear about you? Well, we've got to get Facebook ads out to that market. I mean, that's the only way they're going to hear of us unless they're a fan of ours. So just having somebody come in and strategically place ads for us on our content has been huge. And it's also helped our following grow organically. But don't be fooled, all you Facebook people that send us direct messages and you say, I know you're probably not reading this. We read it. We read it. The <laughs> good and the bad. Don't assume. <laughs> we, we, we read them. We read them. Well, and, and that's that's one thing I wanted to compliment you guys on is just on your Insta-stalking you guys before the interview. And, yeah. Um, man, I mean, you guys have built a, a, an Instagram page of 60,000 followers. Like, that's pretty enviable for a lot of independent artists or even signed yeah. artists for that matter. Thank you. Thanks. Um, yeah, we started with like two years ago, we had maybe 2000 followers and when that's within two years, within two years. Yeah. And when we came out on the highway, um, another mentor of ours, Butch Waugh, who used to be at Sony, he was a VP of Sony and we met him through, uh, our old management firm and he just really liked us and just kept up with us. So we would go to coffee Everything yep. revolves around coffee yeah, for me and Trey. Secret, actually, it Nashville. really is a secret. Coffee. Go to coffee and, or drinks with everybody because you never with know. A lot of people. Yeah. But Butch sits us down. And he's like, Jen, Trey, like, I got to say, like, the music's great. Now it's out, but your social media numbers are not great. Are y'all working with anybody? And we were like, no, like, we're kind of running it on ourselves. And, and that's when he introduced us to um, Mary, who who really helped grow it with us and uh, through advertisements and Facebook ads and like pages and just getting our music out there. And so in two years, we've grown it 
from 2,000 to 60,000. Yeah. That's amazing. Well, I, I want to dive deeper into that, and we will, but we're going to do a special segment just on that in case people aren't really interested in getting into the, the nitty-gritty, the down and dirty of how, how you guys did that. But if people right. want to check that out, it is on the show notes page at madeitmusic.com. Uh, you can just go to the episodes and you find the Smithfield episode, and it'll be right there. So we'll dive into that. As we're kind of closing out, I want to get to our final fun segment, which we call the lightning round. Lightning round. Here we go. Um, <laughs> Heart's pounding. <laughs> biggest stage mishap. mishap. Oh, Easter, 12 years old, tripped over the microphone right after we were praising Jesus. It was great. It was embarrassing. Jeez. That was um, we were in Colorado, and I don't know if it was actually a mishap, but it was like right after we were done, we said goodnight, and I reached over and like grabbed somebody's hand, and they pulled us a little too hard, and I, I teetered and like came this close to just like eating it on the front row, and I kind of did like a weird like arm wave thing and like went back and then walked off the stage and waved at everybody. Oh, that, I guess it was a, a, a mishap avoidance. I actually I fell all the way. You, so. you fell all she the way. She just fell all the Ate way. It. I, Ate uh, it. Okay. Came close to death there. Uh, let's say one thing you wish would change in the music industry. How real do you want? Um, as real as you want to get? As real as we want to get. <laughs> um, and this is in the industry, so I guess I'm just, from my perspective, I feel like we tend to live in such a name game town to the point where like we would be in publishing meetings, playing a song, and the first question they would ask before we even played the song was, who did you write it with? And my response, what I always wanted to say was, does it really matter? Like, why don't we listen to the song, let me know if you like the song, and then I'll tell you who I wrote it with. So if I could change one thing, maybe I would change that. Um, Yeah, it was sort of similar to yours. Like, I feel like Nashville and a lot of the music cities live in, like, their own bubble, and it reminds me of high school, and it's like, oh, they're cool, like, so-and-so said they're cool, so I'll sign them. They may not even have anything going on, and they just sign this rando person who is the cool kid in town, you know? So I, if I could change one thing, I would I would change that. Yeah. Just getting outside of the bubble and looking at, will this act work outside of Nashville? Yeah. Not who's cool or, you know, who's talking about who or whatever, but. Good, good answer. Favorite city to play? Texas, Dallas, because that's my home, what? Dallas, Texas. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, just to go outside the box of my hometown, I'm going to say Seattle. Ooh. Mostly selfish reasons. Yeah, because of coffee. Because I love coffee. And so maybe it's not exactly the show as much as it is the post or pre-show Do you activities. have a favorite coffee in Seattle? Ooh. There's so many. See, that doesn't count as a lightning round question. That's a selfish question. Just oh, that's okay. I want to know. We did a coffee crawl for our drummer's uh, 26th birthday one year where we hit like six of the top-rated coffee shops in Seattle. Um, one of the coolest to me is the La Marzacco um, showroom yeah. um, because they have the radio station there, and plus those, those guys know how to make a latte for sure. They do. They do. That's awesome. First song that really impacted your life. Oh, that's hard. Well, I'm going to say the first record I ever got was a Patsy Cline Greatest Hits. My grandma gave it to me. Nice. And then I heard uh, like crazy, crazy's probably, that was the first song I ever sang on stage. But at the time, I thought it had just come out because sure. I didn't know the difference. So um, Impacted my life. Well, 
There was a song that the Goo Goo Dolls did in 1995 <laughs> on an album called A Boy Named Goo. I knew um, you were going to say Goo Goo Dolls. It was called Name. Oh, and, oh. Uh, good call there. That was, I say Impact in My Life because that was the song that I sang on that talent show. Yeah. It was the first song I ever sang in public, and it's what pushed me to to do music. So. Oh, that is awesome. Gosh. And the last question that I have um, the most unique instrument or sound that you've ever put on a record. Ooh, okay. I don't know what that thing was that you used on We Make Our Own. <laughs> we're going to throw this question it back was like on you. No. This little box, and you were like, just make a noise. And we were like, oh. And then yeah. just like, oh, yeah. Remember? And We Make Our thing. Own. had a little keyboard on it. And, yeah. Uh, it's, it's called the OP1. Okay. Yeah, the OP1. Um, that, <laughs> Well, <laughs> no, I'm like, yeah, yeah, box? the OP one. Um, I think we added some lap steel to, oh, I think, I think it was We Make Our Own, didn't we? Yeah, but that's not like super unique or, I mean, well, it's country I mean, for music. Well, for what we do, for what we do, it, <laughs> yeah. it, it was just because it was kind of us branching out a little bit. We hadn't typically used that. So, I think True. it's lap steel. Yeah, that little, little sample. But, but the OP one, that, that is a cool moment. So people can go hear that on the record. Yes. Which is out at all services. So, um, anything you want to add about the record while you're on here? This is your chance to shamelessly self-promote to the world. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, we already kind of covered it a little bit. I mean, it's obviously called We Make Our Own, and it's been three years since we put out anything, and we just kind of wanted to give – it's it's more – I know everyone says this, but it's more for the fans than anything. I mean, truly. Yeah. Uh, it's stuff that we just love. You know, everybody always talks about how do you select the music that you put on your project. It's like because it's the stuff we enjoy listening to, and it's kind of that simple, you know. Yeah, I think so the production to you. All the step fans up. enjoyed it as much as we enjoyed it. Yeah. Yeah. It's good. So, how, how can people find you, interact with you, socials, website, well, all that good stuff? At smithfieldmusic.com. Make sure right. you put the music or you will get the baking company. Because the okay. they're at Smithfield, so we couldn't take but that. But go there too. Because <laughs> who doesn't bacon. love bacon, right? Yeah. At Smithfield Music on all socials. And uh, yeah. Awesome. And again, we're going to do a, a quick little five-minute deep dive into oh. how you guys built the Instagram from 2,000 to 60,000. So people can find that on madeitmusic.com under yeah. the episodes page for Smithfield. Thank you guys so much for being on the show. Y'all are amazing. I am thanks, a Seth. huge fan, a very biased fan, but a huge, <laughs> huge fan nonetheless. So thanks for taking the time to be on. Love it. Thank you. Thank you. So there you have it. We hope that you enjoyed this episode with Smithfield, and as Seth mentioned in the episode, we recorded a deep dive with him. As an independent group, Smithfield is blowing up on Instagram with over 60,000 followers, and they're handling their social strategy as a whole very well. In this deep dive, they specifically reveal what they've done to achieve this kind of success on Instagram as independent artists. You can find that deep dive by going to madeitinmusic.com slash 130, or 130. Again, that's madeitinmusic.com slash 130. That page also features notes and resources from this episode. On another note, at Full Circle, we write a lot of songs, and a lot of them tend to do really well at radio. Just in case you're the type of person who doesn't check out a website very much, I want to make sure you know about the most valuable songwriting resource we've ever created, and that is called Song Chasers. Song Chasers is something that you can get access to online, It is a full-fledged online masterclass that covers pretty much every single aspect of songwriting. It features over 120 videos and covers over 150 songs. It also includes something at the very end of the course called the Songwriting Contract. 
We don't want to reveal the mystery, but it's really the best tool that we've ever made available to really get someone true success in songwriting, if that's something that you're really after. Song Chasers is one of our premium courses, and it is priced at $997. So if you would like to check out the course, go over to fullcirclemusic.com and just click on the menu option that says Academy. And you can check out all of our courses, including Song Chasers. And over time, we'll be adding even more courses and resources to that page. And just one more reminder, if you want the deep dive totally for free that features all of Smithfield's tips on how to grow your Instagram, check out madeitinmusic.com slash 130. Okay, thanks for joining us, and thanks to Jerrica Scroggins for your work editing this podcast, and thanks to X O'Connor for making the video version of our podcast look awesome. Thanks also to Taylor John Bash and Alicia Morris for your help with marketing, graphics, and administration on these podcasts. My name is Logan Crockett, and let's go ahead and outro this episode with the title track from Smithfield's newest EP. It's called We Make Our Own. Some dusty piece of ground Phone buzzing, lighting up Where you at? Hurry up Cause you know it's just a small town